Radicalization, fake news, echo chambers and conspiracy theories. These are some of the concerns that are often raise about the growth of social media and its links to the increasing extremism, lack of civility and discord that has arguably become endemic to the political cultures of many nations. But do social media sites such as YouTube really drive their users down radicalization rabbit holes of conspiratorial misinformation? And if it does, what can users do about it? I'm your host, Associate Professor Paul Formosa, and welcome to In the Cave, an ethics podcast. Here to help us think about these issues today is Associate Professor Mark Alfano. Mark is a member of the Macquarie University Research Centre for Agency, Values and Ethics, or CAVE, and is also a member of the Department of Philosophy here at Macquarie. Mark, welcome. Hi, Paul. Great to have you here. So, Mark, you recently published an article outlining a study of YouTube's recommender algorithm and whether it pushes people uh, down conspiratorial rabbit holes. Before we get into the study, you open the paper with the really interesting story of Bucky Wolf. Can you briefly tell us a little bit about Bucky Wolf and how his story helped to frame the motivation for your paper? Yeah, thanks, Paul. Bucky Wolf is still currently on trial. He's been charged with second-degree murder. He stabbed his brother in the head with a sword uh, a couple of years ago in Seattle. And almost immediately afterwards, he called the police and told them what he had done. And he said that he had done it because the person he stabbed wasn't actually his brother, but actually a reptilian, a, a space alien lizard imitating a human. And so he, he had to do this in order to protect himself in the world. This reptilian theory goes back decades. Uh, and it's become quite popular uh, among conspiracy theorists who believe in uh, QAnon and other pretty wild conspiracy theories. And Wolf was also trying to get himself inducted into the far-right Proud Boys organization. And what I noticed uh, about Wolf is that some people started digging into his digital footprint, so the, the traces he'd left online. And in particular, they looked at his YouTube channel and saw that he had started out by watching and liking primarily music videos, as one does. And then he got into uh, right-wing politics, and he got into uh, sort of conspiracy theories, uh, eventually ended up with QAnon, reptilians, shapeshifters, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So we, we certainly know of Wolf that this is the trajectory he followed, but I guess the question is then, would he have done this without the YouTube recommender system sort of serving him up this kind of content? Would he have done it on his own? Or, or rather, did the recommender system itself causally contribute to his radicalization? Yeah, great. So this is obviously a really important question. So maybe we can take a step back a little bit and think about what's going on here. So obviously the recommender algorithm bases its recommendations, as you said, on a user's digital footprint. And you call this a sort of form of technological scaffolding. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by technological scaffolding and how it might be linked to some of the concerns about radicalization? Yeah, so the, the basic idea is that people reason by asking questions and then answering them and then asking follow-up questions uh, that are in part influenced by the answer to the previous question and then answering those and then asking more follow-up questions that are based on the answers to the previous questions and following those up with answers and so on. Uh, And so the, the basic idea is that this process can be shaped or tuned by a recommender system, because what recommender systems do is that they, they both answer our questions, so we put in queries, say, in Google, and it tells us answers, um, but also by shaping which questions we ask in the first place, because 
uh, predictive search means that when you start typing in your your query in the in YouTube or or Google search, they're actually the same company, Alphabet. You already start to get suggestions as to which queries to run in the first place from the recommender system. Um, and then on top of that, with YouTube in particular, the default setting is to autoplay the next clip once you've finished watching one, which means that you don't even have to ask a question anymore. It's presumed by the system what question you're going to ask next, and the, the answer to that presumed question is just fed to you as the next clip. Of course. And, and of course, as you say before, the stuff that you get recommended is not neutral. Everyone, two people asking the same question could get very different answers depending on their digital footprints and what YouTube thinks uh, you want to keep watching. So you keep watching and watching. They've got your location. They've got your search history. They've got your watching history. I mean, it's a, it's a huge conglomerate. Uh, they've, they've got your navigation history. If you use Google Chrome, they, they know what websites you've been to, what you clicked on, what you moused over, what you didn't click on. Right, so there's a, a huge amount of information they have to... They have not only your data, but of course everyone else's data. And so then yeah. they can use these great models of people who do this sort of thing will tend to do this sort of thing. Yeah. And so obviously these things can be very powerful. Obviously what you're sort of concerned here is looking at the extent to which these recommended systems push conspiratorial content onto users. Uh, and so you study six different C terms to sort of see how YouTube recommender algorithms respond to those. But perhaps before we look at that, can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by conspiratorial content and how you measured whether a video was uh, a conspiracy theory or not? Sure. So we, we had a pretty simple-minded notion of what a conspiracy theory is. It's just posit that some small group of people is conspiring in order to shape some important event or course of history. Under that definition, there are true conspiracy theories, like the 9-11 attackers plotted in secret to attack the New York City and, and Washington, D.C. a couple decades ago, right? So it's not that all conspiracy theories are false, but the, the sort of especially pernicious type is a, a sort of level up from that and also posits that these same cons conspirators uh, systematically disguise evidence of their own activities. And once you've gotten into that, it becomes almost impossible to falsify the conspiracy theory because if you get evidence that's consistent with the theory, you say, look, it's true. And if you get evidence that's inconsistent with the theory, that's just proof that they covered it up very well. Yeah, so obviously problematic. So <laughs> let's think about what uh, different sorts of search terms might lead to more conspiracy videos or not. So you looked at six terms, uh, gurus, firearms, natural foods, martial arts, fitness, and tiny homes. And your hypothesis was that those I listed earlier in the list, so things like gurus and firearms, would be more likely to lead to conspiratorial content recommended by YouTube. And those later than listings like fitness and tiny homes would be less likely to lead to conspiratorial content. So can you tell us what you actually found in your study? The hypothesis was partially confirmed, partially disconfirmed. The gurus really were out of control. About 48% of the most recommended content that you would get if you just let the recommender system keep feeding you videos once you started watching, for instance, Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan videos would be conspiratorial. It's like half. <laughs> uh, and a lot of those clips are like three hours long. <laughs> so it takes, yeah, you know, it's it commitment. Take your whole day. <laughs> with, with firearms, it was about 10% that were conspiratorial. And with natural foods, it was about 12%. One issue we ran into when we were trying to, to code the most highly recommended videos was that actually a lot of them had been taken down 
either by YouTube for violating terms of service or because the account had been deleted or for some other reason. So that was not something we had foreseen. And possibly a lot of the content that we were not able to code was also conspiratorial. But it's it's hard for us to know uh, about that. Okay, so some such terms are going to lead to more of these conspiracy videos than others. So I guess one question is, so what? So what's the, what's the practical importance of this? What does, it, what does it tell us about what's going on with this recommender algorithm? So I think that what this shows is that there are negative externalities to the business model that YouTube and other uh, platforms use. Their business model is just to sell advertising, and that requires capturing and keeping people's attention. As it turns out, humans are funny critters, and what captures and keeps our attention isn't necessarily the truth, uh, but sometimes things that you know that are wild, like QAnon conspiracy theories. And so, in order to to keep serving us ads, YouTube has, as a side effect, accidentally, as it were, ended up also serving us a bunch of conspiracy theories, at least depending on our initial pr- proclivities. So, I mean, coming back to our earlier question, does does it push us down conspiratorial rabbit holes? I mean, that's the claim that sometimes gets made. So. I guess your research tells us something a little bit more nuanced. If you're searching for certain sorts of things like gurus or firearms or natural foods, the answer is to some extent probably. But if you're searching for other sorts of things like tiny home videos, then probably not. Is that roughly what you think? Yeah, that's, I think, the the upshot. So it's not that everyone gets pushed in the same way. Uh, It's rather that it's a kind of a warped mirror. So if you're already interested in certain kinds of, of problematic content, you might get more extreme versions of that content, which could involve conspiracy theories. But if you're not interested in that in the first place, then it's not going to serve you much of it because you're not going to watch it and then they don't get make any money by selling ads. What are some of the concerns with people being pushed this sort of content? Why does it matter? Well, so people are in many cases sort of conditional norm followers. So they'll, they'll go along with things as long as they think enough other people also go along with them. And one way to figure out what other people are thinking and doing is through these sorts of systems because you you think to yourself, well, if this is the top recommended thing, and presumably millions of other people have seen it uh, and believed it, and so on. So I I think that it can have a a really interesting and sometimes problematic effect on people's uh, willingness to cooperate with social norms. And so it can obviously tend to legitimize certain more extremist views, which you otherwise might not come across. Uh, in your day-to-day life, but here they're sort of reflected back of you as if they're common and normal. Exactly. When, of course, hopefully they're not. Maybe we can talk a little bit about what we can do about it. So you end the paper with some recommendations for end users, companies and regulators. Many of your recommendations for end users revolve around the cultivation of intellectual virtue. So maybe you can talk us a little bit about what they are and maybe are there some sort of practical steps people can take to combat uh, some of these issues we've talked about today? Yeah, so intellectual virtues are just dispositions that help people to acquire or maintain true beliefs and, and knowledge. And we think that some of the more important ones in this context would be things like vigilance, so being on the lookout for misinformation, disinformation, and so on, and epistemic humility, so uh, a, a willingness to recognize that you might be wrong about something and to revise your beliefs. And I, I think that exercising those uh, in the context of YouTube, for instance, but also other platforms, could be beneficial. Another thing that's that people could do, which is much simpler than cultivating virtues, is just turn off the autoplay. So that you, when you get to the end of a video, you don't automatically watch the next one. Because if the, if we know now that this recommender system 
can end up pushing people in these directions, then maybe we should just not let it do that. What about sort of a broader social level? What about regulation? I mean, there's quite a lot of talk around regulation of social media and so forth. Do you think there should be regulation of these kind of algorithms? Yeah, I mean, I think that these platforms need to be moved away from the current business model, which involves selling ads, because that is always going to require capturing and keeping attention. And if they move to some other model, then that wouldn't be the case, and then you wouldn't get these unfortunate side effects. And so I think regulators really need to get involved and uh, and tell these companies, look, you're not allowed to make money in this way. You have to find it, figure out some other way to make money, subscriptions or something like that. Yeah, excellent. So maybe we could sort of try and summarize what we've been talking about today. So if you sort of had a sort of key take-home message about your research for our listeners, what what would it be? How would you sort of summarize your work here? I'd say that amoral corporations uh, sometimes create problems for society through their business models and that we as individuals need to recognize that and confront it both at the individual level by cultivating dispositions that protect us from these effects and also by forcing politicians to regulate these companies so that they aren't disposed to do this in the first place. Mark, that's fantastic. Really appreciate the, the conversation. It's really interesting. Uh, now, clearly, algorithms are having a greater and greater influence on how we experience the world. Algorithms are structuring and personalizing much of the content we've exposed to, as we talked about today. And the content we're exposed to is not inert. It helps to shape who we are, what we care about and believe, and who we associate with. And this impacts not only us and our family and friends, but also it impacts society more broadly, as we've been talking about in the broader political discourse. It's essential, therefore, that we both recognize the influence of these algorithms and start to think seriously about how we should regulate their impacts on us. And individually, we need to perhaps cultivate our digital literacy and intellectual virtue so that we can maintain a degree of individual autonomy in an increasingly technologically scaffolded world. That's all we have time for. If you wish to read Mark's paper, there are links in the show notes. Thanks for your time. Uh, This podcast has been a presentation of the Macquarie University Research Centre for Agency Values and Ethics, or CAVE, and I've been your host, Associate Professor Paul Formosa. 